Welcome to the Astro Podcast. In this episode, we have with us uh, H. Daryl Rutkin, a very well-known researcher in the history of astrology. He is currently a researcher at the Kafoskari University of Venice. And uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Ah, Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. So, uh, Daryl, you have... uh, a great amount of work done in, uh, you have been very active in, in your studies of the history of, uh, of astrology um, with, uh, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, a specialty in late Middle Ages, uh, Renaissance, uh, early modern period. So you, you, uh, you have all that area covered and you have several works on, the, on those areas. Um, so um, tell us a little bit uh, about your, your research interests and, and what you're doing now. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. And I'm delighted that the Astro Project is getting going and okay. is going to make a great contribution to the field. Uh, so the way I talk about my time frame is 1250 to 1800. And of course, that's not comprehensive. I mean... I wish I could do everything within that time frame, but of course that's unrealistic. But I think important in understanding the history of astrology, especially during that period in Europe, is that it's important to have a a long durée understanding because things change so much during that time. And one of my central research questions is, well, If you think about it, astrology was configured very deeply within the map of knowledge from 1250 to 1500 or so, so in the medieval map of knowledge. And then things started to change during the Renaissance and early modern period, but astrology continued to be very significant during that time. But then when you look at 1800, astrology was no longer taken seriously as knowledge by the normal patterns of, you know, by people who understood, bah, I'm not being very articulate here. So astrology was a part of the legitimate map of knowledge. It was taught in the finest universities. And then as things move on in the 17th century, the scientific revolution comes along and then ultimately astrology is removed as legitimate knowledge. One of the ways I ground that story is by looking at the way astrology was in the universities um, over that time period in the, well, the, uh, there's wonderful evidence at the University of Bologna in their um, statutes from 1405 that show very clearly Um, that astrology was taught in three distinct disciplines in different respects, in the maths course, in the natural philosophy course, in the medical course. So I use that as a way to ground the larger trajectory of my story and try to show how it was removed from each of those disciplines during its history. And then by 1800 or so, it's removed from all three Except in medicine, there seems to be a little astrology left in medicine. Um, 
So trying to understand astrology's marginalization and removal over that period. Yeah. Which is a very ambitious project because there so much happening. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So uh, one of the... Um, one of the topics that you address is the reasons that led astrology mm -hmm. to become to be somehow removed, as you said, of mm -hmm. the um, corpus of admitted knowledge. Uh, mm -hmm. There are many theories. I'm sure there mm -hmm. are many causes. Uh, what is your, in your opinion, in in your research? What mm -hmm. is, I would say, the main cause of this? That is an excellent question. I really want to know. So that's what the purpose of that talk was about, to kind of set the framework and give some of the ideas. Um, in fact, I don't know what the main reason was. There are several reasons. One of them is intellectual um, and the way science had transformed from the 13th century to the 18th century. Especially with Newton and Hart, um, they started to ask different questions, especially Newton, in a way that kind of removed the causal assumptions that Aristotle had assumed that were taken seriously even into the 17th century. Remember, Newton began his academic studies at Cambridge in 1661 by studying Aristotle. But by the end of his own early educational and scientific transformations, um, especially with the Principia of 1687, he presents a very different framework, even though it had celestial influences in its own way with gravitation, he was asking very different questions. And of course, he was soon to become the president of the Royal Society. So through his patronage, he was able to um, support research ask certain kinds of questions and undermine or minimize research that asked kind of older style questions and that had different sorts of assumptions. So I think that's part of it. And I think part of the story for Newton in particular, I don't know if you have you seen my essay in Kronos, my one Spanish publication on Newton? Yes, I have. <laughs> um, I have, yes. Um, um, so I think part of the story for Newton is, you know, he was born in 1642, right? The same year that Galileo died, which is a striking historical coincidence. Um, but when he began university, he began in 1661. So what happened between 1642 and 1661? Well, the English Civil Wars and the interregnum period, during which, as I'm sure you both know, having read Patrick Curry's very valuable work, astrology in almanacs without censorship played a very large role on both sides of the political divide, adding for Newton, I think, chaos into the world. So I think he very naturally associated astrology with a very chaotic result in the world. And I think that's partially what conditioned his personal 
rejection of astrology, even though he really never wrote anything rejecting astrology. But it's striking with all he wrote, both published and unpublished in manuscripts, that we have millions and millions and millions of words of alchemical stuff, but nothing on astrology except a hint here or there, no horoscopes, no nothing. So I think that conditioned his personal rejection of astrology. So I think that's one part of the story. Another thing is the political dimension, <clears throat> because like with Savonarola, the end of the 15th century, people, rulers, etc., did not want these kind of wild card astrologers to say what was going to happen, but they wanted to make sure that, you know, a public opinion was affected in ways that they could control. And the, there were so many astrologers who, you know, had their own perspectives on things. So I, I think that's part of it too, to control knowledge, uh, to control predictions about the future. Um, and then I think astrology was ridiculed, like, uh, what's his name, Jonathan Swift and Isaac Bickerstaff yeah. and John Partridge. Uh, that's part of the story, too. Yes. Um, so yeah, anyway, there will I be a, a confluence of factors. Mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand, different questions, as you said. On the other, uh, the use of astrology for political uh, purposes. We have the same here yes. uh, also. I think it was a very, mm -hmm. very global, global phenomenon. Yeah. European and that led to a different kind of astrology, more compromised with political yeah. uh, power. <laughs> well, not that it was different before, but mm -hmm. at this point, with the almanacs, everybody could read and everybody could see. So it was no longer something for yes. just for a few people, for the mm -hmm. learned people. So yes, uh, what do you think about, uh, this is my one of my uh, mm -hmm. concerns, uh, because I'm a medievalist, and then when I get to mm. the uh, 16th century, mm -hmm. I see all these people reforming astrology and uh, giving different opinions about astrology. Not that uh, we don't find, we also find this in the, in the medieval period, but it's mm -hmm. different because mm -hmm. there's this assumption that the core of astrology is more or less, more or less the same. Although some, there are some right. changes, but the, the rules and the core is, so when we get to the 16th century, yeah, we have all these reformists and everything. What do you think about the practice of astrology <laughs> in this transition period? Is it the same? Is it better? Is it how, how was different? It how was it affected? Yeah. Yes, because mm -hmm. maybe that has also to do with what we are talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> No, it's a very interesting question. And although I'm interested in the practice, as you know from my work, I'm more, my research has been more focused on the kind of philosophical framework and institutional frameworks. Um, as far as I can tell, what I've been working on lately in the last six months, among other things, is, uh, and this is what I was going to talk about in your conference um, in the monastery that will this year. Next year. <laughs> exactly. And that I will still talk about at that point. Is that I was looking at the work of um, 
uh, Giovanni, oh God, what's his name, Magini, uh, uh, Giovanni Antonio Magini, I think that's his name. Mm -hmm. um, he's professor of mathematics at Bologna through 1617, um, who taught maths there, taught astrology and astronomy, etc., and was significant with respect to the reception of Copernicus as well as Galileo. Um, there's a rich story there. But he was also seemingly very much a practicing astrologer and published this very interesting text, Critical Days, um, the ancient text by Galen on using astrology for um, medical purposes. And what was striking about his text, as well as those of two other professors of math in, in the 17th century, um, is that they published several horoscopes with their treatment of the critical days, including um, treatises and the earlier part, in Magini's case in particular, that describe the natural philosophical foundations of astrology for medicine, as well as the uh, practicalities of how to interpret horoscopes to determine, you know, health or sickness for people concerned with critical days and giving examples of some famous people and then of some kind of just normal people. Um, so what's striking about his text is that he provides the same Aristotelian foundations for astrology, but then he also gives very interesting practical information and the same sorts of horoscopes. So I think that there was a strong continuity both in theory and practice of astrology. Um, and I don't know so much about transformations in practice. I know a little bit about Tycho and his shift from a 12 to an 8 house system, but in fact I don't know much about transformations in astrological practice, and I assume that's what the Astro Project can really make significant contributions. We intend to address the techniques, the techniques, the history of techniques, and the practice. Mm. Well, uh, regarding the, 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 the shifts in practice, uh, we have been observing a lot of things because Elena uh, has been working mainly in medieval period, late medieval. Uh, in the right. I've been working 16th, 17th century with the study mm. of the Jesuits mm. and the mm. school, mm. which I hope to have finished <laughs> by uh, next, the beginning of next year. With also, uh, and we, what we've been observing um, is shifts in the inner workings of astrology in the sense oh, right. that we have different uh, acceptance of dignities, uh, different oh, yes. use of dignities. All so right. at one point, they are not sure exactly how to deal with uh, the minor dignities, the Ptolemaic terms, the triplicities, how to process that. Right. Get to a point where by the early uh, 17th century, we have people who reject completely the, this, the use of dignities, uh, use of dignities because yeah. they right. see it as yeah. something which is not, not, not rational or cannot right. be explained by natural phenomena. And so exactly. this is part of what they call right. superstitious uh, practices. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
But there and is a very interesting, uh, interesting example. Um, the comet of, uh, help me, 1618, if I'm not sure. There was a big comet. I think it was three, three comets. Yes, three comets in the famous comets of sixteen eighteen, and and by then, uh, what happened is that um, uh, the medieval idea that the comets were sublunary phenomena was questioned. Mm -hmm. Some astrologers accepted them as sublunary phenomena, and even in sixteen eighteen, I thought that was exploded by Tycho. At the end of the 16th century. But there's still a debate, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you can okay. see people who still follow the, 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 the standard oh, right. Italian explanation. They're not yet right. convinced yes. of, of right. the fact that they are uh, so not sublunary phenomena. So. What we had is, uh -huh. um, like, I think three or four examples of judgments of the comet mm -hmm. by Portuguese astrologers. Portuguese astrologers. Oh, right. And some of them. Right. Treat the comet, uh, they, they see the comet as a sublunary phenomenon. Yeah, so and the right. other as a there's one which deals with it as a celestial phenomenon. And yeah. this is uh, and the, 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 the question that we asked ourselves was uh -huh. does this make uh -huh. a difference in their judgment? Uh, right, does it? It should make a difference. It should, you but, would think. Um, in fact, it didn't. Because <laughs> what happens is very curious. <laughs> what we observe is an adaptation of the standard judgment. So right. it follows the standard judgment. The, the, the comet has a, a color, I think, and the, he attributes the color like Mars and Mercury or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, so if it is Mars and Mercury, uh, the, the one who judges, those who judge the comet as sublunary, they just say it is related to Mars and Mercury, therefore, it will have this and this and this effect. Sure, sure, sure. The one who treats the comet as a celestial phenomenon uh, right. places it, yeah, uh, between the, it and places it between the orbs of Mars and Mercury. All oh, right. So it's and the judgment is the same. Uh, oh, right. So it, it is uh, for me, and I think for us, it's an example oh, right. of yeah, the. Yeah. Uh, flexibility and yeah. resilience of the system of course of course things change and they they remain no. the same somehow yeah. no of course <laughs> yes I mean, i'm not yeah i'm not sure uh sorry to interrupt you but and we're still not sure exactly on how this new concepts of cosmos because then we have there right. was all of this debate on cosmology um, sure. How they exactly affect the practice? Because we do have these examples in which they adapt. So if it's in the sphere of Mars, it has a martial tone. If it's in the sphere of Mercury, sure, tone. sure, sure. Yeah, but then, <laughs> no, of course. Yeah, and then, but then there appears to be a no, a, a more popular practice that we see in the almanacs that doesn't right. really right. adapt or change that much. So it's yeah. still something to to be properly explored. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, at the same time, we're seeing an adaptation, but at the same time, we're seeing a continuous in practice. Well, well it comes at least in a lower level. Exactly, of exactly. Yeah. That was what I, I was going to say. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. More popular astrology. They just mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's the, one of the things that's so striking about the history of astrology from antiquity to. I won't say the present day, but through the 17th century at least. Uh, do you know Tamsin Barton's article about um, 
Augustus, uh, Caesar Augustus's horoscope where she argues about the extraordinary it, yes mm-hmm. yeah no it's very famous about the flexibility that astrologers show in the rhetoric of magical judgments and i think that does go all the way through for lots of reasons um but it's incredibly interesting to really try and give a fine-grained analysis of that basically from the time of copernicus's de revolutionibus through the time of say um because you know there were some significant comets and new stars during that time and how were they interpreted yeah um do you know matteo cosci who's associated with um caposcari here who just won a um i don't think so uh, um Marie Curie to spend some time in the US he works on comets in Italy in the context of Galileo and he's interested in the astrological dimension so he'd be a a good person to talk to as well a young scholar but very good and and very interesting no i think that's such a rich area to really yeah cultivate in detail and that's the thing you really have to see it in its rich detail because it's so easy to see kind of the broad framework and see what we saw in the past but this is a time of significant transformation as well but what is the nature of that transformation and that, those are questions that need to be answered and it's great that y'all are working on yeah. that stuff. yeah 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 it's i think it's it's very interesting it's, it was an area which i was not so focused on and now with research i've been more thing i think to this because i'm studying how they're teaching astrology here in portugal at that same yeah, yeah. so you see this these coming in to the teaching itself yeah, yeah. And discussions coming in and it's yeah. quite interesting how the shift in mentality and the perception of the world starts to also change the way astrology is perceived at least how it works in in, in yeah. period in in the the period that louise is studying uh, also the um, the jesuits were uh, mm. in the south, uh, southern hemisphere so yes. they were also discussing how does this work in mm-hmm. the south yeah there's so that, yeah, that's that like discussion a, is also fabulous a very scientific yeah. discussion very scientific discussions how does it work do we invert the whole system to accommodate the association the ptolemaic traditional associations with the seasons or not and okay. yeah then you see uh, those who are working from a theoretical point of view in europe to say yes mm-hmm. probably you do but they are not sure or and those sure. who are practicing in the southern hemisphere that said well we are doing the same thing as we did in europe and it it works so there's something wrong with tommy's explanation of the world that needs to be revised and it's quite interesting to see this debate going into astrology but i believe at least from what i have seen so far that it was not a, an argument that that progressed too much in time because oh that's a shame arguments yeah mm-hmm. arguments that are uh, first half of the 17th century basically okay right after colonization and and, and you start right. born in in south america but right. then uh, it reaches the the end of the, the middle of the century and our astrology is already um, discredited, discredited. Yeah. it begins its collapse and it's no longer an important topic and i i haven't seen 
so far. Okay. Might be wrong. A good discussion on how this okay. works. So what I, I mean, I don't think anybody fully understands what goes on in the 17th century in relation to astrology. But the little bit that I understand, especially about um, Portugal, is that it seems to go on in Portugal longer throughout the 17th century and into the 18th century as a legitimate form of knowledge and practice further than it does in most other places in Europe. Mm -hmm. So I get that mainly from the work of Luis Miguel Carolino, who I'm sure you all know, sure. um, and his work on some of the Jesuit scholars there. Mm -hmm. And so interesting. I don't know that he treats any of the southern issues, but they're all Jesuits, and I assume that some of them are Portuguese as well. Um, so, I mean, I think those are interesting questions to pursue. Um, yes, yes. And we, I'm still figuring out um, why does it extend so far. Uh, and, and yeah, 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 yeah. These, We are talking about classes that are occurring between 1702 oh, to right. 1715, probably oh, right. 1920. Oh, uh, right. Not clear because we All have right. which, which the dates are not uh, entirely right. acceptable. Right, right, right. But it's too late. It's really very late mm. considering mm. the European uh, practice. You bet. And these For are legitimate knowledge. Practice. But it continues, as we all know, into the present day. So what is it about astrology that speaks to human beings in a way that intelligent people from antiquity to the present still think is somehow a way to get insight into the world? I mean, the world is mysterious, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, um, and so culturally rich because some people, people who are not historians, sometimes think of astrology as a practice, which it mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. but it's also a way of describing the universe. So it is uh, related to everything political issues, medical, so society yeah. in general, daily life. So, it, daily life. so mm -hmm. it's kind of a way of describing the universe. And therefore, it's very difficult to take it away. Uh, I, I sometimes um, find, well, some books about medieval ages or medieval medicine or anything, and they don't have a word about astrology. So it's kind of incomplete. We, we need to understand this because it's not just something that these people do or did, or uh, it's not just a practice, it's a, a, a concept of the universe. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. That's part of it. We yeah, still yeah, have that yeah. ingrained. In us, ingrained. That may remain, although in the scientific perspective, it does fall out of that picture. But as we know, astrology continues and yes. continues to to to, to present and day. And science is not mm. a way to eradicate astrology. It's just another way to see the universe. So it's kind of. Yeah. They have this things relation. Shift. Yeah, Sometimes shift. a toxic relation, but they have a relation <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, no, and, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so there are a lot, a lot of things to, 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 to explore. <laughs> to explore so many questions. I mean, that's the thing. We really don't understand our place in the universe. We have some ideas, and astrology over a very long period of time has spoken to a reasonable percentage of people, and at one point was considered a legitimate form of knowledge, and now is considered an alternative form of knowledge, but is still taken seriously by i think a significant percentage of the population even people in high political power even in the west i mean ronald reagan in the u.s mm -hmm. francois mitterrand in france yeah. um let alone in india yeah you know i mean context yes yes where that where it never went out of, of exactly of ever so ever a, yeah so it's a completely different context uh, yeah. Yes, I would like uh, shifting a little bit of subject, but remaining within the, your line of research. I would like to ask you a little bit about your ongoing work because you mm -hmm. have just published the first volume mm -hmm. of your series, which deals mm -hmm. Middle Ages until fifteen mm -hmm. hundred and all the mm -hmm. um, the conceptual uh, and philosophical mm -hmm. uh, backgrounds in which astrology uh, is is being worked. I think it's mm -hmm. quite a, a lot, an extensive uh, work that you have done. Mm -hmm. And how do you plan to to proceed with it? Uh, I'm curious. Sure. No, thank you. Um, so the conception is three volumes, right? There's a medieval volume, a Renaissance volume, and an early modern volume. The medieval volume, 1250 to 1500, broadly focusing primarily on three thinkers, right? Um, Albertus Magnus, his most famous student, Thomas Aquinas, Roger Bacon, to give the broader framework of how astrology was configured within natural philosophy, within theology, and in relation to magic, in particular talismans, right? Mm -hmm. So volume two is focused on the Renaissance, and in that I mean the two main figures who basically dominate um, the historiography on the Renaissance in the present day or over the last 50 or 70 years, namely Marcellino Ficino and Giovanni Pico della Mirandola. Yeah. So to talk about and focus on the relationship between their views and part of that or a large part of that is to deconstruct what I think is still the dominant paradigm in our understanding and their relationship between mm -hmm. each other from Francis Yates's brilliant and influential but deeply problematic Giordano Bruno and the Hermetic tradition Mm -hmm. which inspired me to get into all of this. So I talk about her with tremendous respect, even though she was wrong about almost everything. Um, <laughs> strangely, but very fruitfully. Um, mm -hmm. So what I focus on is the way she constructs the relationship between Ficino and Pico, where mm -hmm. she basically says that Ficino constructed this thing uh, this view of astrology in relation to magic and Pico simply, simply added Hebrew Kabbalah to that and amped up its power and its relation to religion mm -hmm. and then things go on 
you know, to Campanella and Francis Bacon, etc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a nice story. I think it's completely wrong, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's valuable to get people talking about this stuff and to get people to do further research. So what I think is the focus of my volume two is that Ficino created this extraordinary Renaissance structure of astrology in relation to magic in his De Vito, which is what I found from 1489, where he basically platonized the medieval astrologizing Aristotelian view of nature that I reconstruct in volume one. One of the primary ways he does that is by animating the universe, making it alive, uh, which was not the case for the medieval thinkers. They thought that the planet as celestial bodies influence things on earth including people by affecting their bodies with stellar rays mm -hmm. uh, with views from Alkindi's De Radis Stellarum but the only way it could affect the mind of a person was indirectly by means of the body so Ficino in animating the heavens and especially the planets reconfigured that in a strikingly platonic and I argue renaissance way by arguing that no, the planets were themselves animated and the souls of the planets could directly affect the soul of a human being. And that subverts profoundly many of the medieval safeguards of human free will, etc., etc. It's a complex story. I can't tell it all here, of course. Okay. <laughs> but in a nutshell, I think that's what Ficino does in his um, configuration, I think, is incredibly radical and really marks the beginning of Renaissance astrology. So how does Pico fit into that picture? Um, so my methodological nature for better or worse this is my scorpionic nature i don't believe what other people say i'm interested but i say okay show me the evidence and does that make sense or not mm -hmm. um and in relation to pico francis yates's picture it just seemed wrong and then i for writing my phd thesis at indiana university 2002 Great place to study, great thing. I asked the question and assumed the answer, asking what was Pico's relationship to astrology? Because there's all this nonsense in the scholarship about him, you know, destroying astrology and astrologers not publishing after he published his disputations, which is just nonsense. I mean, just historically, astrologers keep publishing for hundreds of years. So what then was Pico's relationship to astrology? Um, so I asked that question in my dissertation and found out that, in fact, he didn't really care much about astrology in his early period. He seemed to have a kind of neutral relationship to it. He was very excited about what he called natural magic and very excited about Kabbalah. But about astrology, he would use it where he could emphasize what he was interested in, but really didn't seem to care about it. Mm -hmm. And then 
seven years later at the end of his life when writing the disputations he of course knew a lot more about astrology and much more about its history and of course was trying to destroy it with every fiber of his being and you know was successful on some level in creating arguments that argued against it but in fact was not successful in the sense that astrology continued for hundreds of years still taught in universities and then you know it transformed during the uh, enlightenment is now what it is today but um he by no means destroyed it and by no means removed it from its understanding as legitimate knowledge so in my volume two i try and show what pico's early views were and then you know with its kind of neutral view of astrology and then reconstruct uh Pacino's De Vita and show how he uses astrology at every level of that structure in very interesting ways and that in fact the two projects are completely different and then show in part three of volume two how Pico attacks astrology including certain significant parts of Pacino's construction I call this their third uh, the third Ficino Pico controversy. There are a couple of earlier ones in their dynamic, but it's by no means a simplistic one. And focus on the role of spiritus all the way through in the views of the living universe, etc. Anyway, it's hard to do this sort of thing justice in a few seconds. But points in the direction. Um, so that's the medieval part in volume one, the Renaissance part, transformations, and then volume three uh, goes from 1500 to 1800. And in that, I want to show the continuities and transformations in the medieval view, in the Renaissance contributions, and then ultimately in the marginalization or rejection of astrology from legitimate knowledge in the 17th and 18th centuries. I, I only have one question. When can we when can we get our hands on it? Volume two is coming along very nicely. I hope to have a complete draft by the end of next year when my uh, contract here ends. And then hopefully, God willing, I'll get a next position somewhere where I can finish everything. Mm -hmm. um, but who knows? We'll um, be watching like wolves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, I'm really yes. very, very interested. I think we both are. Yes, because, in, yeah. because that's that's a very ambitious and very deep also uh, project. Yes, and it's a, it's a, um, how shall I say it? a comprehensive, comprehensive yeah. yeah, a comprehensive yeah. work. So yes, it's important to to do uh, analysis of specific uh, events, people, sure. or uh, topics but also this this broad view then we have to put it's, it's necessary yes. uh, so, so so that it, to, to create context and, and understand context exactly. and i think since um since the, the huge uh, seven or eight volumes of um history of magic uh, and so the history of astrology i think we didn't have any kind of large comprehensive analysis of the situation although of course sure. Dyke is dated in many aspects but oh, still is in many in many topics oh, 
a source that you must go to uh, in order to, to build up Absolutely. from and, and I, I think it lacks in, in many aspects we lack a, a, a little bit this more comprehensive only so we wish you the best of success no, no, no. with, with the poems <laughs> two and three we'll be waiting <laughs> Yes, Me too. <laughs> These are the books I wanted to read when I got into this sort of, and unfortunately it won't be comprehensive because in fact I don't know everything. I wish I did, but yeah. I have limited capacities and began this late, blah, 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 but I do my best and try to understand I'm this. I'm sure it will be very comprehensive. And uh, we don't know everything, but this is also part of the charm of the life of a historian. We also always have something else to understand or to discover. So it's, it's also good. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, uh, Daryl, uh, if I may, I thank you very much. Thank you very much. For, no, for this, my pleasure. This first interview, and we hope to for you to return again and we can address other topics. I think any of these topics that you mentioned is, I think, highly interesting to, 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 it will be a to develop. In itself. I, I, yeah. Each one would be a podcast yeah. itself. The yeah. Renaissance, the, the, the Aristotelian influence that, that tints uh, Western astrology, all of that, I think, it should be, a, should be given its own proper space exactly. for, for a conversation. So I hope, uh, we hope to see you again sure. soon. No, I'll look forward to it. Yeah.